Longhorn Nation, it's hump day. Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Longhorns, your daily number one source for all things Texas athletics, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Jonathan Davis, the voice of University of Texas football and basketball. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Longhorns your first listen of the day. Make sure you're subscribed to Locked On Longhorns on YouTube for exclusive content and full podcast episodes dropping soon. We have a very special guest on today's show, a special show for you. One of the best in the business, the CEO of Spot on Sports, Tony Monk. Tony, what's going on, brother? My boy, John G, man, what's going down, bro? It's uh, representing the new wave of sports soup in the nation. We're not just active, spot on. Very happy to be a part of Locked On uh, Longhorns uh, podcast today. For sure. So first we'll be talking some Longhorns football and basketball. Uh, then after that, we'll get into some NFL. We'll be talking some Dallas Cowboy talk, uh, as well as a little bit of a Super Bowl preview. And then later on in the show, we'll be talking about the Brooklyn Nets and former Longhorn Kevin Durant and who we think are the favorites right now for the NBA championship. So without further ado, Longhorns Nation, let's get into it. Yeah, get into it indeed, John. Me and you talked earlier this weekend. Uh, the Longhorns actually came up in our conversation of college hoops. And we just saw a couple of days ago that the Longhorns got a big win over a top-10-ranked team uh, in the Kansas Jayhawks, man. Take us take us through that, man. And then I, I do want to ask a follow-up question after that being uh, after this win, and obviously we're going to get into the Baylor game that they, they have this upcoming Saturday. Can this Texas Longhorns team compete with anyone? They definitely can compete with anyone. And, you know, anyone is relative. Um, I I think that there still are a few teams that probably have set themselves apart, are probably in a different class right now than this Texas basketball team. Um, But when you look at the last 60 minutes of basketball that Texas has played in the second half against Iowa State, where they outscored them 38 to 18 um, and held them to 29 percent shooting in that game. And then just the full game that they played against Kansas, I thought that was one of their best 40 minute efforts. Uh, from the entire season, uh, they played defense really well. Then that's what they hang their hat on. They're the best defensive team in D1 statistically coming into that game. They were only um, allowing 54 points a game. They allowed 76 to Kansas, uh, but that's one of the best teams in the country. And so when you look at it, Kansas shot 58% from the field. Um, they shot 64% from the field in the second half. And so Texas's defense, where they hang their hat on, uh, was good, but Kansas was just a little bit better on offense. But I think what's been better about Texas recently in the last 60 minutes of basketball is how aggressive they've been on the offensive end and how decisive they've been on the offensive end. Um, and still in that Kansas game, there were a few times where they went, you know, two to three minutes without scoring a field goal. I think their ability to get to the free throw line, making 20 out of 23 uh, free throws was really the key in that game, especially um, when there was some offensive inconsistency at times. And then I think too often they can be passive and, and pass up. Uh, too often kind of play hot potato with the ball and say, you know, you shoot it, you shoot it, you shoot it. And that's what happens when you have a lot of transfers on this team. Um, You have so many players coming in that are used to being the guy at their respective programs. And then now are just trying to be a part of of a winning culture in Chris Beard's first year on the Texas basketball team. So um, we saw in that game, uh, Trey Mitchell uh, made it a point to really dominate in the post in the first half. And then Timmy Allen did such a great job getting to the free throw line, getting to his spots in the mid range in the second half. And when this team is decisive, on offense, um, when they are, you know, making it a point to, to really get good shots and, and just let their best players uh, be great, 
and 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 not limit themselves on the offensive end. I think you see the type of efforts that we saw against Kansas and in the second half against Iowa State. And like Chris Beard said, after the Iowa State game, when they play like they did in the second half, they can't compete with anybody. So I think this team is is starting as they as they get more comfortable on the offensive end. I think the ceiling of this team continues to get raised. And and, and just really quick, John, to kind of get your opinion on this, and, and Texas is looking to move on through an impressive 19-6 on the season. Their record, in which you uh, alluded to earlier, there are teams that are still clear-cut better than them. But where do you really just rank Texas in, in terms of competition to the other bigger teams, especially with a month out coming into March Madness? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, when you look at Kansas, I, I still would probably take Kansas over Texas right now, even though Texas just beat Kansas. Um, like I said, Kansas shot 58% from the field totally, and then 64% in the second half. So I think a lot of the reasons Kansas lost that game were, you know, the turnovers. They lost the turnover battle 15-7. to seven. Um, They missed eight free throws. A, a lot of those things came down to the reason that they lost. But Texas hangs its head on defense, and they weren't able to stop. Kansas on offense, you know, defeat defensively, if you look at the field goal percentage, good offense is always going to beat good defense. And so, like I said, the ceiling of this team um, is really comes down to what they're able to do on the offensive end. And offensively, they haven't been consistent. When you look at a team like Gonzaga, I think there's just certain teams that are in a different class. So Texas played Gonzaga earlier in the season. And Texas was able uh, to score 74 points, which is really good for Texas. But they gave up 86 you know, and, and so when you have teams like, you know, Gonzaga, uh, Auburn, uh, Duke, even teams like Texas Tech, I would still take Texas Tech, probably Baylor and Kansas right now in the Big 12 over Texas just because they're able to do it on both ends more consistently than we've seen from the Longhorns. So, you know, Texas is now one in six uh, this year when they give up more than 60 points. Uh, but when you're talking about those upper echelon teams in the Big 12 and then outside of the conference that you're going to have to get past, to, to win um, into the NCAA tournament or go far in that tournament. Uh, you're going to have to be able uh, to score, you know, more than 60 points. And you can't rely on holding teams like that to under 60 points to win every game. And and that's going to happen uh, for them. And we'll, we'll, we'll be moving on to this, to the football side of the bit, John. But that's going to happen with them again when they get ready to face Baylor this Saturday. Uh, have you already kind of looked at that game as far as the nuances and saying, hey, this Texas team and the rankings are different. Just because you're 10 or you're 8 doesn't really mean too much of anything because we know how, how much fluff the committee kind of puts into rankings. Are you kind of expecting the same type of outing that Texas put up against Kansas? Yeah, so Baylor's going to be hungry. Um, they played Kansas State in between, but, you know, the last time we saw Baylor on the court, they lost by 24 to Kansas, and that game really – 24 doesn't even do it justice. That game could have been a lot worse if Kansas would have kept their foot on their neck the whole time. Um, and so I think – when we looked at after the Texas Tech loss, that was just a big loss uh, for Texas, for the program, being in Lubbock, Chris Beard spending so much time in that program. It's a game you wanted to win. And that left a bad taste in the Longhorn fans' mouth and, and really Chris Beard and the team. And when you looked at the next set of games, you said, okay, we got four of the next five against ranked opponents. We lost to Texas Tech in the fashion that we did. This next couple of weeks can really determine this team. It can go either really good or really bad. Now, I think that the way that they played in the second half against Iowa State and then beating Kansas, you know, Texas now has kind of had to up their expectations based off of what they've been able to accomplish. So now when you look at two of their next three games, you have on the road against Baylor, you have Oklahoma and the Red River rivalry, anything can happen. And then Texas Tech comes back to Austin on February 19th. So now I think that that Kansas win is kind of obsolete. I think it's a footnote if you go out there and you lose to Baylor and Texas Tech. 
I think because they showed that they can go out there and beat Kansas, um, you have to go out there and at least win two of the next three games. And in that Baylor game, Baylor hasn't been um, the Baylor we've seen in the beginning of the season. They're four and four in their last eight games, but they're still a really tough matchup. They're still uh, really athletic, you know, can go eight, nine deep um, in their rotation. So that's going to be a tough matchup for Texas. But like I said, they've shown what they're able to do against Kansas and they have to keep that going against Baylor on Saturday. And, and I think that they either need to win that game or the, the Texas Tech game to, to validate what they did against Kansas. Definitely looking forward to a, uh, another huge Texas win this weekend, hopefully. Uh, I want to I hit on uh, this football side for the Longhorns. I think one of those deals where we've really been trying to see what this team is exactly going to be, especially we're going to get into some uh, SEC talk in a bit. But I want to – I listened to your podcast uh, the other day on Big 12, uh, Locked on Big 12. And, and you guys hit on really transfer quarterback Quinn Ewers. And I wanted to know more about this guy. And one thing I realized literally just the other day was that he was the same guy that took the uh, the deal and foregone yeah. his senior in high school football. And I just connected it. So so tell us more about Quinn Ewers because I think the, the, the Longhorn fan base should really know because this kid is talented. What type of kid is he actually and what he's going to bring to Longhorns football? For sure. So he is the second highest graded uh, prospect, according to 24-7 sports, in the UT program since Vince Young and the highest graded quarterback prospect since Vince Young. Um, you know, just you look at him, uh, 6'3", he's got good size at high school. He forewent his senior year, but he had 85 total touchdowns and eight interceptions in his time there. Um, and he just kind of has that moxie. He can make every throw. Uh, you look at the arm talent, look at the accuracy. Uh, he's already advanced um, when you see most high school quarterbacks in terms of ball placement, accuracy, and just uh, putting the ball to where his receivers um, can continue to make plays. And I think that's going to be really key with some of the playmakers that are on this Texas team already. Uh, but I, I just think that he's one of those, you know, he's the number one prospect in the 2021 class, and he's one of those ceiling raisers for your program. You look at like a, a Bryce Young or a Justin Fields, you know, he's not as, as mobile as those two are. He can be mobile. He can, um, you know, break plays down, especially when they're in man coverage or there's a breakdown in coverage. He can he can make plays with his legs, uh, but ultimately he can make every throw. And I think the ceiling of this Texas football program um, depends on Quinn Ewers being under center this fall. Uh, a lot of people have talked about maybe uh, because he didn't play at Ohio State at all and, and he didn't have a senior year of high school. So people are looking at this as kind of his true freshman year um, and saying that, you know, Sark should be slow and, and put him out there on the field. But if, if Texas football is back, which I think it is, and, and, you know, we're looking to really make a push in the Big 12 and compete for our first, you know, college football playoff, then I, I think that's only going to happen uh, with Quinn Ewers under center in the fall. Well, obviously, I think this is a really good time for, you know, the, the Longhorns to really good kid that upper echelon quarterback play that I believe they can have because I haven't been too much of a big fan of the two quarterback system in which they kind of relied on within recent years. But I do want to take a look at where they're going to go. Obviously, we still got one more season in the Big 12. Uh, Sark has made a, a bevy of moves that we believe will work out for the Longhorns. But when you kind of get into the SEC, and thankfully, Quinn Ewers will still be there, when you start, we start talking Mississippi State and, and Bama and Georgia, uh, what's, the, what's the outlook as far as at least entering in what we expect it to be and what should, especially the Longhorns fans, but I'm going to hit on them a lot today, what should they expect within that first year coming into the SEC for the, uh, for the Longhorns? Yeah, so I think it's imperative that UT find the level of success they're looking for under Sark right now while they're in the Big 12 and create that foundation going into the SEC. Um, but I also think that 
you know, a lot of people look at maybe, you know, when Texas lost to Kansas last year, they went five and seven, lost six in a row. They're saying, oh, this team isn't ready for the SEC. Well, a few years ago, Sam Ellinger and the Texas Longhorns beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. And then that, you know, we talk about that LSU team is one of the best teams of all time. That was a team that almost lost in Austin. A lot of people don't remember that. You know, Sam Ellinger, they almost knocked off Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson in Austin, Texas. You know, it came down to a third and 17 at the end. And, you know, Justin Jefferson, who looks like one of the best receivers in the NFL, just made a play. All right. And then we'll see what they're able to do against Alabama this year. But I think that game will be a lot closer than most people think. So, um, and then just with the pedigree of Texas being the premier school, premier university in the state of Texas, with them going to the SEC, that's only going to increase in recruitment. And so I think that, you know, they'll definitely have their hands full and, and it makes the most sense, especially if the college football playoff does not expand. It makes the most sense for them to try to get there right now while there's four teams and win the Big 12. They have an easier path right now. But I also think that as much as these other teams will be a problem uh, for Texas moving forward in the SEC, I think that Texas will also make life tougher uh, for them as well. Coming up next, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys. We'll get into some NFL, and we'll preview the Super Bowl. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Low-calorie, high-protein. Replace your candy bars with these. They are better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Go to Built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High-protein, low-calorie, high-fiber, low-carb. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious and new flavors are coming out all the time. If they think a flavor might be good, they'll make it. It will be delicious and it will be good for you. At Built Bar, they are all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. It's Super Week, brought to you by Get Upside, and there's no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On Bengals and Locked On Rams are in L.A. all week covering the big game. And, of course, if you're thinking about betting on this game, go to betonline.net. So we'll talk about the Super Bowl in a little bit, but we do have two Cowboys fans on the podcast, so we have to get into uh, the, the drama and the disarray a little bit and, and what happened to the Cowboys this year. So, Tony, uh, you know, who do you think takes the heat for the Cowboys' failures this year? Well, yeah, before I was to really interrupt your, your, your intro to that earlier, that I think that's the question that, you know, again, you and I, we talk about it a lot, but we, when, we, when we do speak on, you know, the, the Cowboys' failures, but – I wanted to take that time to just kind of hit on the things that transpired within the 49ers game where I know a lot of people can easily draw that heat towards Mike McCarthy, respectively so, as you are the coach. But my problem my problem is where I don't think we bring a lot of it to, and that's the players on the field. And we can look at, I believe it was 14 pre-snap penalties that happened in which on offense and defense 
which cost the Cowboys offense efficiency. When there were times that I, I was able to see that Chris got kind of moved the ball, but we had a holding call that kind of brought it back. And, and, and again, my thing is on that offensive line, or on the players themselves, where we practice a lot of these things so much throughout the offseason, throughout the week, that you guys have to be able to hold the line before the ball is even snapped. Like these are things that mentally have been destroying the Cowboys uh, in, in a bevy of different ways, but definitely reared his head just uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I think Mike McCarthy has got an unfair share of that. When I look at a coach that had his first full season with a team and they go 12 and 5. I, I, and, and, you know, we want to nitpick, right, right John? We always want to say, hey, how can you be the most perfect team ever? But the, the two most perfect teams aren't even that perfect, and they're playing this this Sunday. So so we can point them out and say, hey, these are their weaknesses. They don't have the perfect coaches, but they, you know, the, the, the team overall in that aspect, they're very good. And, and speaking on those quarterbacks and Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford and how those guys are, and we'll get on them in a little bit, you know, how many comparisons did we ever hear about Dak Prescott, John? How many comparisons did we go through where Dak gets compared to every other 30, all 31 quarterbacks in the league, college, and in high school? So, so, and and I guess this is my more or less my question. You know, I was asking earlier, but what is Dak at this point, given to where the Cowboys are, and I believe his 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 fifth season already passing him. Yeah. So you made some really good points, and just quickly to touch on that 49ers game, I think you have to place blame everywhere. Um, I thought that you know when you look at it. So often, you know, we can be offensive coordinators at home and, you know, armchair coordinators. Uh, but I think it's key that when you look at it, like Dak Prescott, when when the team has had more rushing attempts than passing attempts in Dak Prescott's career, the team is undefeated. The team was undefeated this year when the Cowboys rushed for more than 100 yards. And so if everybody knows that at home, I'm not sure why Kelly Moore didn't implement that. And when you look at the best drive they had, which ended up with the uh, passing touchdown to Amari Cooper, they had 21 rushing attempts total in that game to so 44 passing attempts. Seven rushing attempts came on that drive, right? So 33% of their rushing attempts came on one drop, and that was the best drive that they had offensively. When you look at Tony Pollard, who has been better, you know how we feel about Zeke, but Tony Pollard has been better than Zeke for the majority of the season, for a long time now, really. Tony Pollard only has six touches in that game. Four of those touches came on that drive, which is the best the Cowboys looked all game. So 67% of Tony Pollard's touches came on that drive. And so I, I just thought it, the game plan wasn't great, and that affected everything. And then you talked about the 14 penalties, maybe the last play at the end. But, but John, really quick, though, before before we hit, actually end up moving on, I, why does it have to be the stat line that when the Cowboys rush more than they pass, we are successful? I, I don't think I will blame Kellen for if he has tried. I'm not going to assume that he has or hasn't. But if he has tried to say, hey, let us try to throw ourselves to a win, then relying on a running game that may or may not be there. Why are we having, as, as the Cowboys, to rely on the stats saying, oh, we rushed 20 and passed 19, we're a successful team, when we should be figuring out offensively how to be efficient across the board? Uh, because when I think you, you look at it, I think we base our expectations of Dak based off of his contract and not who he really is. Uh, when you look at what the 49ers do with Jimmy G, they don't put him in positions to go out there and make him win the game. You know, they make him really comfortable and allow him to play within his skill set. And I think that Dak is obviously better than Jimmy G. He's a really good quarterback. But there's only four or five quarterbacks in this league that you can ask them to go out there and throw the ball 40 times and that be a plus for your team. And I don't think that Dak Prescott is one of them. So it's not about limiting Dak or saying that we need to coddle him or he needs a running game to win. That's just true for most quarterbacks in the NFL. 
You know, that I mean, that's true for almost all of them outside of, of four or five. And that's why we call them elite. And I don't think Dak is in that class yet. And so that's why you have to put him in the position to succeed. And at this point, still in Dak's career, regardless of how much money he's making, he is at his best when everything around him is working on all cylinders. And so that kind of also answers your question about what Dak is. He's a he's a quarterback that needs a running game and, and a great defense at this point. Well, well, we'll move on to the Super Bowl talk. Two teams that either need one or the other, they have those already uh, in the uh, L.A. Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals, man. And I can't believe we're talking about a Super Bowl with, with them involved in it, which is I think is the coolest thing ever. But I want to talk about how both of these teams got here. Uh, and, John, let's be quick about this and start with the Rams. Obviously, we, we knew what Matthew Stafford was coming from Detroit. They had the great defense. You trade for Von Miller. Cam Akers come back. The running game sort of comes alive. You get OBJ, your favorite guy, who's possibly about to be in the championship soon. How did, how did the Rams get to this point when we thought Packers, Bucks, or 49ers? Definitely. Um, so I, I just thought the Rams, you know, they were able to get to the Super Bowl a couple years ago with Jared Goff. And the stars kind of aligned for them on their first game. Kyler Murray was not great at all in his first playoff game. And then, you know, you get to travel uh, to Tampa Bay where Tampa Bay was weaker this year. They dealt with a lot of injuries and they just weren't the same team that we saw last year. And they almost, you know, with four fumbles kind of gave it up. You know, they had a 24 point lead and, and, you know, Tom Brady was able to come back and tie it. But their great players made plays. Cooper Cup, who's the best receiver in football this year, made a play. Uh, Todd Bowles, he made a, a, a call. That's a Todd Bowles call, you know, a zero blitz. And, but you, you can't call a zero blitz and players on the field don't know it's a zero blitz. Yeah, that's, that's that point in the game. That's <laughs> like that to, to, to Cooper Cup. Um, and then, of course, I think, you know, with them not having to play uh, Green Bay, you know, Green Bay went out there and lost to, we've seen now Aaron Rodgers is 0-4 against the 49ers in the playoffs. And them not having to play Green Bay set up the NFC Championship against a team that they had lost to six straight times in the 49ers and, just eventually, you know, when you look at, you know, statistics and regressing to the mean, eventually a team like the Rams, who was more talented than the 49ers, was going to take care of business in that matchup. And, you know, it, it could come down to a couple of plays. You could say it comes down to the Jacrosky Tart drop pick. You know, I think if he catches that, he probably runs it back to field goal range already. And with that running game, San Francisco takes care of business. But, you know, if it was a fifth, you know, we know what you say next. So, you know, that's how the Rams got to the Super Bowl. And, and now they should be the favorites um, against Joe, you know, Joe Burrow and, and the Cincinnati Bengals. And if, and if a lot of y'all watch Mr. Go 30 videos on Twitter, you know what he said about Tar dropping their peak was clearly the Super Bowl wasn't on his schedule and it just meant extra work. But it was extra work for Joey B and those boys to get there. Uh, I Just dating back to last year, terrible offensive line. Joey B turns every CL that you could possibly tear in his knee. And then he's back. They have the pretty much the same line, but you got Jamar Chase this time to kind of offset a lot of those things. And obviously, we love the type of running back Joe Mixon is. But this 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 Bengals team is really good, and they play fairly really good on on defense. Uh, how did they get here with nearly the same thing, but plus one Jamar Chase? For sure. I mean, I think it all starts and ends with Joe Burrow. Um, he's quickly becoming one of the faces of the league, and and inserting himself as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And you talked about that defense. Um, they played Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, and Patrick Mahomes. And Derek Carr had the highest QBR out of the three with the 41. Uh, Ryan Tannehill and uh, Ryan, uh, Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, both had over a 41 QBR. All three quarterbacks turned the ball over. And that defense has really stepped up and, and been the key along with Joe Burrow. And then that rapport that he has 
Joe Mixon is one of the most underrated running backs in the league. And then the rapport that he has with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, they've been able to overcome that offensive line, winning a game where they took nine sacks. I've never seen that before. Um, and you know that, you know, one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league, and Aaron Donald, uh, Von Miller, they're coming, you know, for sure for that Cincinnati offensive line. But they have a chance because of the way that the defense is played. I, I think they'll force Matt Stafford into a, a mistake as well. And then, you know, Joe Burrow, it just comes down to the quarterback play at the end of the day. And, and when you have the best quarterback in this matchup, which I think they do, they have a chance. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs. Right to the big game in a couple weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live, real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, man. Uh, when we look at this Brooklyn Nets team, uh, we look like the big thing is glaring right now, and that's James Harden. And is this team going to trade him, uh, as we've been hearing within recent rumors? Um, John, when we do look at the Knicks and we do look at what was supposed to be with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden, you say what exactly? I say so far it's a disappointment uh, with only three. You know, they've only played in 16 games together, all three of them, um, and they've all been on the roster at least two years now, Kevin Durant and Kyrie have been on the roster. This is their third year. Um, and you just haven't had the success that you would have liked to have. You know, when you put those three types of players together, you instantly think championship. And, you know, maybe if, if Kevin Durant's foot wasn't on the line last year against the Bucks on the three-point line, they probably do go on to win a championship, even with Kyrie Hurt and a hobble James Harden. And I think now when you look at this situation, it just doesn't look like James Harden wants to be there. It looks checked out. We've heard the rumors about – him enjoying Houston more than Brooklyn. We both lived in Houston, so we can probably attest to that, you know, to attest to that being true. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's a free agent after the end of the season, and so you have to really consider trading him or losing him for nothing. And then with Kyrie only being available in half the games, you're looking at a realistic situation where next year it could just be Kevin Durant. And I think if you can get, you know, a prime Ben Simmons, so a lot of people talk about him not shooting. He still averages 18 points a game. And with, with players like Kyrie, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, Joe Harris, you still have enough offense, LaMarcus Aldridge, to compete. So I think they really need to seriously look uh, at getting, you know, Ben Simmons and getting off James Harden before they lose him for nothing uh, before tomorrow's deadline. Uh, we got we got a still a, a, good, a good amount of games left for the NBA, John. Have you already chosen who you, who you think you like to win it all this year? Well, me being a Bulls fan, I'll be remiss not to mention the Bulls, uh, you know, and, and they're doing really good this year. But I don't know if they have the championship ceiling yet. I think if the Brooklyn Nets can figure it out once they get on the court together and, you know, it depends on if, if New York lifts that mandate and, and Kyrie's able to play full time. But as of right now, I'm, I, I think Brooklyn is still probably the favorite in the East. Miami looks really good. Of course, they have former Longhorn P.J. Tucker. I got to shout out all the former Longhorns on Locked On Longhorns. Um, Miami looks really good. I think they're the number one seed in the East right now. You can't count out Milwaukee, but I, I would still probably come down to, to Brooklyn having the edge if all three superstars are healthy and their team is healthy as well. And then on the West, um, I really like the Jazz. I like what they continue to able to do, continue, continue to do every year on the offensive and defensive side. When you look at it, they're always one of the best teams in both of those categories. But we're constantly hearing about this rift between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and ultimately I think that's going to cap them 
from what they're able to do. When you look at the Warriors and they're really back, uh, Clay Thompson is scoring in double flash, figures. Brothers. The Slash Brothers, Clay Thompson is scoring in double figures. Um, in every game since he's been back, we know what Steph can do. We know that Draymond is the heart and soul of that team. And then Andrew Wiggins is really, this is probably the best year of his career. And we know with him being the former first overall draft pick. And then now we see him being a starter in the all-star game. Um, they're really clicking on all cylinders. And Phoenix, they look amazing, right? They just go out there and, and kind of dominate teams every night. So if I had to pick a, a finals prediction right now. Let's go. Uh, Warriors and six, John. Let's go. <laughs> right now. I'm going to have to say it's going to be Warriors. It sets up. It's going to have to be Warriors in, in Brooklyn, you know, and then you got to have to Steph versus KD. Should KD have left? Did he make the right decision? I think it this all is on, on, the, on the court. But tell me what you think. Who you got in the finals? Hey, man, I, I'm going to keep it short, bro. I, I got Warriors, man. The Splash Brothers are coming back for the first time in years. I love to see Clay get it together over the next couple of months. I know he's going to be able to really break in. Uh, KD, I, I question how they succeed with Kyrie kind of playing half games. But I'm sure they're probably going to be able to work that out somehow. Love what Miami's doing. Uh, you know, will Milwaukee kind of figure it out towards the end like they kind of always do? But I will go. I will go Warriors and Bucks. Warriors and Bucks. Okay. Warriors. Yeah, y'all heard it on Lockdown Longhorns. He came on here. He didn't disrespected Lamarcus Aldridge. He didn't disrespect Kevin Durant. Said Brooklyn not going to the finals, so he won't be back. I'm just playing. Much less in the business. Spot on Sports CEO Tony Muck. Tell them where they can find Spot on Sports where you're not just accurate, you're spot on. Oh, uh, man, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Spot underscore on Sports. Uh, follow us on Facebook as well. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spot on Sports. Look out for what we're doing. Look out for everything Spot on Productions LLC coming soon as well. Thanks, John. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. And thank you, Longhorn Nation, for making Locked On Longhorns your first listen of the day. Make sure you're subscribed to Locked On Longhorns on YouTube for exclusive content. And if you need any ideas for your second listen of the day, make that Locked On Bets your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Until tomorrow, Longhorn Nation. Peace.